glad that you're here today. As we begin our time, I want to take us back in time to the year 1965. That was actually, believe it or not, 50 years ago this year. 50 years ago, 1965. Our country was in an interesting place. In February of 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated. Just a couple weeks later, officially, we launched troops into Vietnam from the United States. They had been there earlier than that, but now officially they were entering into Vietnam. And as kind of a side note of that, in Berkeley, in Northern California, we had demonstrations beginning that spring of 1965 as college students tore up and burnt their draft cards in defiance of being called to Vietnam. In August of 1965, not far from here, we had the Watts riots take place. And in 1965, we were only uh, about 15 months removed from the assassination of JFK. And so our country and our culture was, was in a time of chaos. And it was under this umbrella that in July of 1965, this song written by Burt Bacharach, who also wrote the song, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? I will never do that again, by the way. But uh, uh, he wrote this song. Listen to it right here. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just Uncle Ralph, you remember that? Take you back a little bit. <laughs> 1965, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. And you can understand the, chaos, the context of our time in 1965 with all of these chaotic things happening in our nation that this song was embraced by our culture. Now, 50 years later in 2015, not much has changed in our culture, huh? Would you still agree that we live in chaotic, unknown times? Maybe different circumstances, but nonetheless unknown and chaotic times. And the world still needs love. But the question is, what exactly does the world need when it comes to love? What type of love? How do you define love, this love that our world needs? Well, I went to the experts to figure out what's the best definition of love. What do we need? And I went to six-year-old Chrissy. And Chrissy said this, Love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That is love for a six-year-old right there. Noelle is age seven, and so she has about a year of life experience on Chrissy. And Noelle, in her maturity, describes and defines love as this. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. This explains many of us right here. I kept seeking out wisdom and figuring out how do you define love, and 
So I went to Leslie, who's a high school student, but more mature, and this is how she defined love. I think the meaning of love is when someone else's happiness means a lot to you. You'll literally do anything to make them happy and keep them happy. But I appreciate this line. Maybe my definition of love is wrong since I'm only a teenager. Like, I appreciate her humility in kind of laying that out there. Something that you've heard even this summer, you know, hashtag love wins, is the ultimate definition of love is to not be judgmental. It's to not infringe on someone's perceived freedom or rights. As long as I don't judge you and you don't judge me, then, then that's the ultimate love that we can offer another person. But my question for us is, we sit here in August on a weekend where we need air conditioning. Oh Lord, we need air conditioning. Is this really get to the heart of what true love, real love is? Does offering your fries, does trying to make someone happy, does that really go down to the roots of what love is? Ironically, you can see here on the screen that the song that passed what the world needs now is love on the Billboard 100 charts was this song by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no... Okay, now you have competing songs in your head right now. What the world needs now. Da, 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 da. Okay. Wow, rough crowd. You guys are waking up. Okay, here we go. Uh, here's the irony of that song passing what the world needs now on the charts. Is that because we struggle to really define what real love is, our lives often are filled with frustration, anxiety, discouragement, apathy, and anger. Because we're chasing after all these definitions of love, but we just can't get to the core of what real love is. And so it makes sense that I can't get no satisfaction becomes the theme song for 1965, and it really is the theme song of our lives here today as well. The amazing thing, though, is, is that when you look in God's Word... It answers every societal question and need that is out there. And it's no different when it comes to defining and understanding what real love is. And so if you will, if you have your Bible or your smartphone or any type of device, open up to 1 John chapter 4. There's Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Feel free to grab that if you'd like. That's the same version that I'll be reading up here. It's the New American Standard Bible. So turn to 1 John chapter 4. And what I'd like you to do is as I read it out loud and you follow along, I would like you just to raise your hand, just gently, like maybe you're at the auction at the OC fair, just like this, whenever you hear the word love, whenever I read it out loud, whether you're following with me or just hearing it, just just kind of raise your hand like that, okay? Just to kind of get a sense of of when love is talked about in this passage. 1 John chapter 4, not the gospel of John, but 1 John, it's back towards the end of the New Testament, near the book of Revelation, you have these three letters penned by the Apostle John. So 1 John 4, look at with me in verse 7. So again, as you hear the word love, just kind of put your hand up like that. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he can see cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Is your arm a little tired? This is not scientific, but I counted 27 times in these 14 verses that the word love is mentioned. 29 if you include the word beloved. And so John is really drilling this home to us. In fact, as we've walked this summer through the book of 1 John, this has kind of been a repeating theme about love. What is real love? John here 29 times says, I want you to get this. This is important. Because you're wired as human beings to be loved and to give love. And so I want you to understand, underneath all the surfaces of definitions of love, this is the most important thing to understand about love. And what is that? What are we supposed to understand here about love? Well, let me help us just break it down. First is this, is that God is the source, and I'll use this word and explain it in a minute, of agape love. As we read this passage, we get the clear understanding that God is the source of agape love. Now, there are four Greek words. The Bible in this letter was penned in the ancient Koine Greek. And so there were four words that describe love in this first century culture. The first was the word phileo. Phileo indicates a brotherly affection. If you've ever been to the city of Philadelphia... It's the city of brotherly love. The second Greek word for love is the word eros. And eros describes a romantic, even sexual love. The third word is the word storge. And it refers to, again, kind of like a family type love, like between a brother and sister, between relatives in, in in a hierarchical family. It's this word storge. But John chooses not to use these three words when he describes love here in 1 John 4. 
Instead, John uses this fourth word, which is agape. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. Maybe you've heard it before, but just to refresh your memory, agape is defined as this. It's defined as unconditional, sacrificial, servant-hearted love. Agape love says, I love you even when it's not convenient, deserved, or even reciprocated. That is what agape love is about. And here's the amazing truth that we learn or we rediscover when we look at 1 John 4, is that God is the source of this agape love. In other words, he is the originator, inventor of this love. Verse 7 again, look at 1 John 4, 7. It says, Beloved, John with his pastor, fatherly heart, says this, Let us love one another, for love is from God. In the original language, this word from God uh, connotated the idea of a spring of fresh water. And so John's saying is that agape love, this unconditional, sacrificial, servant-hearted love, it springs out of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's who he is. It flows out of God into a dry and parched land. If you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, near the Dead Sea, you have this incredible mountain called Masada. There's two ways you can get up Masada. You can kind of hike it through these switchbacks, or you can take the tram up. But either way, once you get up to the top of Masada, you can see... 360 degrees around. It's awesome. When you look to the south, you see desert. When you look to the west, you see desert. On top of Masada, when you look to the east, well, you see the Dead Sea kind of in the far off distance, but then below that is desert. It's a dry and parched land. But... When you look to the north, there's this oasis. There's green plants and green trees. And you see this spring that's called Engedi. Engedi is this beautiful place. And on top of Masada, you can see it clearly. Everything else is desert, but then there's this little oasis. You remember the cartoons when the cartoon figures would be in the desert and would be longing for water, and then they'd like wipe their eyes and they'd see this beautiful oasis. But here in the desert of Israel, it's actually true as the water springs forth in this place called En Gedi. On a side note, we think that this is where David, as he fled from King Saul, was inspired by God to write many of the Psalms. What a great, inspiring place to do that, right? And it just helps me in this metaphor to think, this is kind of like our lives in our world is that everywhere you look, there's this dry and parched land. Everywhere you turn, we feel the thirst that I need to be loved and I need to be able to give somebody love and I'm just desperately just feeling exhausted and tired and weary. And then you have God. And as you draw near to God, the spring of agape love, you experience love like nothing else. I remember before I was a pastor, I was working near downtown Los Angeles, and I lived in Brea, and so it was anywhere from a 45-minute to a two-hour drive to get into downtown and back. Anybody feel that pain? You live that? And I remember 
driving to work each day and feeling the stress of traffic and going into the office and feeling the stress of work and the environment wasn't super healthy. There was a lot of politics going on and felt like people were backbiting and talking about each other and it just, it wasn't a safe place. And I remember at the end of the day, just feeling thirsty, thirsty for God. Like, God, I'm just weary. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I need you. And I would get in my little Acura Integra, which was red, but it had been oxidized, so it looked pink. (laughs) It's a great look for a guy in his 20s. (laughs) And I'd get in my Acura Integra, and I would begin the 45-minute to two-hour drive back to Brea. And I would just pop in worship music. At that time, there was this band called Delirious. I don't even remember the band, but I remember listening to Delirious and just going, oh, God, I need to be surrounded by this right now. I am thirsty for you. I am dying at work, and I need you to fill me up. That's the picture I have here of when it says, and love comes from God. He's the spring that agape love flows through. And then verse 7 continues, and it says, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is a test of faith. Throughout the book of 1 John, John gives us these little points of testing. Hey, this is how you know you really are a follower of Jesus. And then verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Take that in for a minute. God is love. He's not only the source of love, but in his very nature, God is, and the word here for love again is agape. God is agape love. John tells us in the Gospel of John that God is spirit. And then earlier in 1 John, John describes that God is light. And here in 1 John 4, he's saying God is love. Now often we can get confused and we can reverse this sentence. We can say love is God. And we make our lives about pursuing either loving someone here or being loved by someone as the ultimate worship, as the ultimate God. But that proves to be discouraging and we have no satisfaction in that. But love is not God, but God is love. God defines love. Love is not defined by God. And how does God define love? Well, he demonstrates it. Look at verse 9. It says here in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. This word manifested means revealed, made known, demonstrated. You see, God is love. His love has always existed. In the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, before creation. At creation, we see God's love manifested in how he creates and what he creates. In the Old Testament, we see God's love demonstrated to us through his covenants with people. And now, in the new covenant, in the new age, we see the full extent of the love of God as seen through his sending the only begotten son, his son Jesus, into our world. And listen to how deep this love is. Verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Not that we loved God. There was nothing in us that was deserving of the love of God. We are incapable of loving God because of our sin nature and our sin actions. And yet despite our sin, God took the first steps. God took steps towards us. Not that we love, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What's this word mean, propitiation? It's a fancy word. Most likely you haven't used it this week in your normal vocabulary, right? What does it mean? Well, this is a helpful explanation to me. It means to satisfy or appease wrath or anger, to make peace with through a gift or a sacrifice. So I want you to picture a tribal culture and they're experiencing a drought in their land. And so they gather together and they begin discussing, well, what's causing this drought? Well, it must be the unknown gods who we must have done something to offend them. Now, Romans 1 says that through general revelation, through as we look at creation, we can understand that there is a God. And so even in a tribal culture, it's never heard the good news of Jesus. They can understand that they have some missed mark against God just by looking at nature. And so a tribal culture feeling that, but then manifesting it in a way that not how God laid it out, saying, well, we must do something to appease the gods. So let's hike up to the volcano and let's throw a cow or some type of sweets that the God likes, or let's throw you (laughs) into the volcano and appease the gods. And maybe if we do that, this fickle, angry God will be happy with us and then we'll bring rain into our land. Now, this is not at all what biblical appropriation is, propitiation. It's completely different than that, and I want us to get that this morning. You see, God requires propitiation not because he's angry or fickle, but because he is holy and just. And because of his holiness and just, he can't be near sin, and he needs to be consistent with sin. And Romans chapter 1 talks about that. It says, His wrath is revealed from heaven against un- un- all ungodliness and un- unrighteousness. And so God has a righteous grievance towards sin. But then look what he does. God himself sets up the rules of propitiation. It's not up to us to kind of figure out, like, does he like Oreos? Okay, here we go. No, no, God himself in the Old Testament says... I will accept an animal sacrifice. The blood of an animal spilled will atone, cover the sins of the nation. Now, there was nothing special about the blood. It wasn't like God had to do that. Like, oh, wow, that's, that's a lamb's blood. Like, I, I have to forgive your sins. Like, no, but God in his love and mercy and grace said, I choose to accept that. Your sins are forgiven. And how they set up this Old Testament worship was they'd be forgiven for that year. And so year after year, people would have to approach God and propitiate their sins, give a sacrifice for their guilt. But all that was just a foreshadow to the beautiful entrance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into our world, the incarnated God, and Jesus himself became our sacrifice. 
John Stott says it so well when he says, God himself gave himself to save us from himself. In other words, Jesus wasn't just making a sacrifice for our sins. He was the sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Do you get that? That's a game changer. When you understand the extent of God's love, that he didn't just go, okay, yeah, do the sacrifice and you're good. He became the sacrifice himself. What the world needs now is not just a generic love. What the world and you and I need is this type of agape love. And my question to you is this. Have you personally experienced this love? Have you experienced the wonderful agape love of Jesus? Now, the amazing thing about this love is it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just you go to Harvest Crusade and, wow, I really like Greg Laurie. What he said, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to give my life to Jesus and experience his love on the field of Angel Stadium. This is awesome. And then I go home and, okay, I got God's love over here, but now I just got to live, like, I guess got to live for God and do a bunch of things for God and, and so I'm just going to keep working, and maybe I'll start a ministry, and I'll start serving. And Oh, yeah, God's love's over there, but no, no, no. God's agape love is something that we experience and get to embrace every single day. Last night, and this just, again, reveals some of my quirkiness. <laughs> Last night, I came in here, and I preached to a, an empty auditorium. And I do that from time to time, because I practice the sermon and if I'm bored by it, then I need to rework some stuff for the next morning. <laughs> and so I'm here last night, about 9 o'clock at night, and I'm just preaching to the empty seats that you're now filling right now. And about halfway through, it just kind of hit me like, wow, am, am I experiencing God's love right now? Or am I just kind of going over what I need to say next? Do I just want to give you a sermon? Or do I want to share with you the love that I've experienced from God? It was this cool moment, like right here in this little spot right here, where I just experienced God just saying, I love you. I love you. Not because you're going to preach tomorrow. Like, oh, good job, boy. You can do that. Okay. But no, because I sent my son to die on your behalf. It was this incredible moment I had at 9 o'clock at night last night here. Have you embraced and experienced the love of God in your life? Not just in the past, but right now in your life. It's my challenge to you. And as we experience the agape love of God, here's the wonderful thing, is that then he calls us to be ambassadors of his love, to share his agape love with those that he places around us. Look at 1 John chapter 11. I mean, chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you understand our visible love for one another as Christ's ambassadors reveals the invisible love of God. Maybe you saw the email that I sent out earlier this week, but a few years ago, I was going to officiate a wedding up in Orange, and I was driving on Chapman, and then all of a sudden as I'm driving, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, I was going to officiate, and I need to serve communion to the bride and groom, and I totally forgot grape juice. 
So I went to the place where all pastors buy communion grape juice, which is Ralph's <laughs> grocery store. And I went to the one on Chapman and Yorba, which is no longer there. But um, I walked into the store. I only had a few minutes before the wedding needed to get going, so I needed to kind of hustle. And so I'm walking up and down the aisles looking for grape juice. And of course, I'm not going to ask anybody where it is. I just want to find it myself. And so I'm looking down the aisles. And as I pass aisle seven, I see a guy from our church for here from Calvary. <laughs> And he's like halfway down the grocery store aisle, aisle seven, and he's shopping for, I think it was laundry detergent. And as I glance back at him, he doesn't see me. All of a sudden, I just had emotion fill me because I know this guy's backstory. You see, this guy's been married for over 50 plus years. He's retired now. He's been involved in tons of different places here at Calvary. He's living the good life. And then his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, memory loss. And so he has become her full-time caregiver. He's had to limit his schedule, take a step away here from volunteering at Calvary, stop his hobbies, and his full concern is caring for his wife with memory loss. And here he is on a Saturday morning, shop, or Saturday afternoon, shopping for laundry detergent for him and his wife with memory loss. And I was filled with emotion because it hit me like, wow, I'm going to drive up Chapman Avenue. I'm going to go to this awesome venue place. I'm going to officiate this wedding for this couple that's head over heels in love for one another. They're going to say their vows to each other with such joy. There's going to be family and friends that are cheering them on. There's going to be a photographer that they paid way too much for that's taking every single angle photo that can capture this forever. There's wedding cake to be enjoyed. There's a honeymoon and vacation to look forward to. But you know where the vows are lived out? on aisle seven of Ralph's 50 years from now when a spouse has memory loss and there's no ability to reciprocate that love. It's simply agape love in action. That, you guys, helps demonstrate the ultimate agape love of Jesus because our world, frankly, is skeptical. When they hear about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, they're like, okay, whatever. doesn't impact me. But when they see agape love in action, it compels our culture, your friends and family who are far from Jesus, to go, wow, they're, they're really serious about this. And in the prayers, they don't just acknowledge you, but then they acknowledge the ultimate source of agape love, seen through Jesus Christ. Let me share another story with you. This is of Ian and Clarissa. This is taken of them when they were in college. They just look like a typical college couple at like a Red Robin type place. And, but here's their story. Is that Ian was working two jobs in order to save up for a ring to buy for Larissa. And on his way to his second job one night, he was involved in a horrific car accident. And he was left in a coma. But miraculously, Ian survived that coma. And he was able to recover, but he had significant brain injuries. And the rest of his life, he would be disabled. Now, for Larissa, she was 23 years old when this accident happened. It would have been so easy for her to walk away. She's like, I didn't sign up to give someone meds for a life. I signed up to go to Club Med, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And yet Larissa has been changed by Jesus. She's experienced the agape love of Jesus. And look what happens next. Watch the screens. 
asked me to read a couple of quotes from a man named John Piper who's a, a well-known Bible teacher and he talks about marriage and how it this mystery refers to Christ in the church and he says this marriage is not mainly about prospering economically it is mainly about displaying the covenant keeping love between Christ and his church pretty amazing, huh? Last week uh, in the lobby, I was talking to just some friends that I see every week here at Calvary, and God's called them to be foster parents. And as we were just catching up on life, all of a sudden, both of them got pretty emotional, and they just said, we just so long, and they were talking about one of their foster kids in particular, they have multiple, we just so long for her to understand the love of God. She's had so many people in her life tell her that they love her only to abandon her. And we just want her to understand the deep, deep love that Jesus offers her. And they're just welling up with tears right here in the lobby last Sunday. And I'm just kind of sitting with them. All of a sudden, it just kind of hit me. Like, wow, I think she is seeing the love of God. As you've welcomed her into your home and you're not living a perfect life, she gets to see it firsthand. But she gets to see you pursuing Jesus yourself and loving her by providing her a safe environment. That's agape love in action. And that's what we're called to be, these ambassadors of God's agape love. Now, you may not be called um, to be a caregiver. Maybe that's not your season right now. Maybe you're not called to follow through with vows to someone with a disability. Maybe you're not called to be a foster parent, although maybe you are. And yet, each of us is given by God opportunities to display his agape love to a world that's so desperately thirsty for it. If we believe that the spring of agape love is God himself then we're called to be ambassadors of that and point people to it. Not taking credit for ourselves, but pointing towards the ultimate love, which is God is love. And then look at verse 13 here of John, 1 John chapter 4. It says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus, the Son of God, abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world." Boy, there's so many good things here. This would be a great place to point someone who just, hey, what's the basics of Christianity? Just show them this. 
13 through 17, or the whole chapter, really. But one thing I want you to understand and be assured of as you just heard that passage read, that the triune God is present in our calling to love others. The Father sends the Son to demonstrate agape love and to make us right, propitiation for our sins, to make us clean, free from sin. And then the Holy Spirit enters our life when you place your faith in Jesus and gives you the power to be an ambassador for agape love that you could never be on your own. On your own, maybe like a half hour after today, you'll be like, okay, I'm going to practice agape love. And then like you're in line at Rubio's, and you're like, that person cut in front of me, and look at that person over there. We just have no ability to manage agape love, demonstrate it, without the Holy Spirit giving us the power and strength and ability to do that. But be encouraged, the triune God is with us in this calling. And another piece of encouragement is this, is that we can walk without fear as we live out our calling to love others. Look at verse 18, and maybe this is the reason you came today, to hear this right now. Verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, there is a fear of the Lord that is good, that produces awe and worship of the mighty holiness, glory of God. But there's also a fear that just disables us. It's not from God. As you're called to live out this calling to be ambassadors of the agape love of God, man, maybe you just need to sit on verse 18 and dwell in this if you're experiencing worry and anxiety and stress in your calling. What a great truth and reminder that this is. And then I love this quote by the former U.S. Senate chaplain, Richard Halverson. Maybe you've heard it before, but this is what it says. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, and perfectic. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Amen to this? This is the agape love. This is the God that we get to follow and be near and interact with in our daily lives. So here's some next steps. The Spirit may prompt you, you're not a believer in Jesus. Today may be that day. You need to make that step to place your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a booklet in the seat chair in front of you. You can just pull that out. It says how to connect with God. And it just kind of leads you through some basic understandings of who Jesus is. And it even offers an opportunity for you to pray a simple prayer of faith and invite Christ into your life. Another step may be, you heard Tim talk about it, is baptism. Maybe a step for you is you've experienced the love of God and now you want to be an ambassador of that, God, of that God's love. You just step out into a public place like a beach and just say, I follow Jesus with my life. Challenge you to hear the Spirit calling if he's doing that for you. Another one could be that we have the Alpha Course coming up in September. This is a great opportunity to invite people who are far from God or just need to feel the love of God. We offer this on Wednesday nights and we're looking for people that would jump in to be table hosts and leaders. And We also need you just to invite people that you know that you have influence in. This could be a great way to be an ambassador of Christ. But here's the bottom line. Is that the need is 
What the world needs now is love. The problem is, I can't get no satisfaction. The answer is amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of agape love. Thank you for receiving us unconditionally, sacrificially, servant-heartedly. God, we pray that we would experience your love on a daily basis. It wouldn't be something, okay, we got that, now move on. But God, your love would fill us day by day by day. And then out of that, God, we just pray a prayer of use us. Call us to be ambassadors of your agape love to whoever you put in front of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.